Yo, what's up everybody? Welcome to another episode of Downtime with Downstar, episode 168. And today we are here with Eddie Lee from Titan 7. Eddie, what's up, man? What's going on? Not much, bro. Thank you for being here. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, we all we got to do what we can during our during the COVID times, and nothing better than to uh, you know I'm honing in my face to face skills online, right? So with Zoom, house party, and now Skype. <laughs> Have you been doing a lot of it? Yeah, on and off. You know, when uh, all the the homies get you know they're yearning for each other's face faces, <laughs> you know, we'll we'll get on there and uh, do a little drinking together and talk shit. So. Yeah. It's Nothing been, different than being in the parking lot, right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's been a it's been a different time, man. It's been pretty uh, pretty exciting to say the least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exciting, weird, sad. You know, pretty much everything all rolled up into one, right? So. Yeah, no, definitely, man. I'm uh, I'm waiting to see what happens when the dust settles with everything. Yeah, yeah, just a lot of unknowns, uh, but. Just got to be optimistic and just keep working, right? Yeah, definitely, man. Yeah. So before we get any further, can you just give us like a quick breakdown uh, for people who aren't familiar with you of who you are and what you do? Uh, my name is uh, Eddie Lee, and uh, I am one of the founders and co-owners of a, a wheel company called Titan 7. And so um, our we've been in it for about three years, but I've been in the industry, working in the industry for well over just and well over 20 years and um mainly in wheels and titan 7 our, our claim to fame is uh, our product is uh, we our company models forge for all so i think we're kind of a breakthrough company where we offer like a, a forged wheel at an incredibly uh, good value so uh, what we try to do is check all the boxes we have like a good product and a good product good service and also a good value got you got you and uh, we were talking before uh, that we may have run into each other at, uh, you know, going to auto salon, maybe even at, at uh, another meet or something. But I, I've been a fan of your work for a long time. Um, Thank you. Yeah, the uh, the parties at SEMA are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, that was a, a really a good uh, 10 year run, I believe. 10 yeah, years. A, yeah, we did. We did that for 10 years. Yeah, that was like kind of our uh, side hustle. Well. I think anything that we've done in terms of side hustles, like we've thrown like industry track days and yeah. industry golf tournaments and you know, like we, I love the, our, our industry and um, just to get everyone together, yeah. right. And all kinds of different ways, whether it's we do drift days and track days and we'll do meetups and K1 like karting. And uh, um, I think uh, the, the the Vegas parties during SEMA that all came from you know we used to go to Vegas a lot to to go party and we had such a good time and built a lot of great relationships and that parlayed into why don't we throw an industry party and that ended up turning into a really big thing where we had title sponsors like Gran Turismo and Honda and we brought in like crazy music acts like T Pain yeah. um, you know oh my god like Dash Berlin and Social Distortion and yeah it, it was a wild ride but we're not doing it anymore yeah we gotta focus on our uh, our main <laughs> no more no more side gigs but uh but anyhow yeah it was really fun I'm glad you had a good time yeah great times man I remember one of the uh the last Honda parties that they had it was at Tal mm -hmm. and I'm just hanging out there and then I seen like a hundred girls come in in a in a train they just all walked in in a huge line <laughs> well i what we try to do is 
like everyone kind of talks shit about like going to SEMA or SEMA parties, right? Like yeah. how sausage festive it was, right? Yeah. So we try to buck that trend by uh, trying try to, uh, you know, get in as many girls as we could. So just to make sure that we <laughs> was having a good time. It was a good time, man. We had a good time. That's that's kind of my favorite thing about SEMA, you know. You go there, you walk around mm -hmm. all day, talk to people, hopefully make some connections, and then at nighttime you just go party and, and just let loose. And hopefully you make it up in the morning. <laughs> yeah, we, we know we did a good job when uh, everybody's walking in with their sunglasses and telling us how, <laughs> how good of a time they had. You know, it, it was um, this past year was the first year that we didn't have one yeah and everybody was calling me like man my thursdays are so productive now because there's no party to go to so. <laughs> good so, times man yeah um, definitely man. but with everything yeah, that's there. Mm -hmm. yeah with, with everything that's going on right now that kind of leaves sema up in the air what what are your thoughts on that well um from what i know sema is still on um, I think SEMA is banking on the fact that November is still relatively far away and that hopefully government, public, everybody kind of gets their act together um, and, and you know, hopefully with social distancing and everything that gets put into play, um, it's not going to be as much of a risk. But who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we time will tell, right? Yeah, no, definitely. Now, I yeah. definitely want to get into uh, Titan Seven and um, then your career before that. But uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm I'm interested in hearing the uh, the early stories, man. How did you even get into the industry? <laughs> um, well, I think like a lot of guys growing up in like the early '90s, um, went to high school in the early '90s, and especially being an Asian American kid, you know, in like San Gabriel Valley, mm. where I think is probably one of the, the birthplaces of like car culture. Yeah. And um, that, that's really what we we're into. I think kids nowadays, there's so many diversions, you know, like everyone can get into everything, like immediately become an expert at something very quickly, right? Where back then that, you know, everyone had to pick, you know, one max two like hobbies and, and you have to invest all your time into it. And uh, that's really what we did. We all got into cars, um, you know, the Honda Civics and Integras and, and all of those. That was that was it, man. And that was the centerpiece of what we spent our time doing, what we were researching. Um, and that, that's how you form a bond, uh, you know, with all your friends. And that's really where it stemmed from. So at this age, when you got into Hondas, what was the thing that, that made that made you attracted to the Honda community or the, the Honda platform? I think originally it's, it's just your surroundings, right? Like they're the, the more older, the old school guys before us, you know, they're, you know, racing, they're into their A86s, um, a lot of the Toyotas. And naturally when, when the Hondas came about, that was like the new platform. Yeah. And uh, that was the affordable platform too. Right. And that's what kids were getting. And naturally, uh, you know, you make do with what you get, yeah. right? So, so people were slowly starting to build them, and at the same time, you see companies like DC Sports and Mugen, and you know all the real sage old companies. They're already playing with those cars, and you see them at the autocrosses, and they're starting to develop parts for it. I think there, like an intersection, came about where you know the availability of parts and the cars, and that's what the parents were buying their kids, and that's really where it came from. And they look good too. So. Yeah. So, what was your mm -hmm. first car? So my first uh, 
first first car was what we called the White Eagle. It was a, a Chevy truck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we called it the White Eagle. My friends called it the White Eagle because the paint on the hood was chipping off. Yeah. And so it, it, it formed like they what they called like a, a shape of an eagle. <laughs> <laughs> so, but my first uh, real like car that we worked on was a uh, was a Toyota MR2. Oh, okay. So I got that in high school. All my friends had Hondas. Yeah. And so uh, I was like, ah, I, I kind of like to buck the trend all the time. So uh, go against the grain. So I picked up, um, or my parents bought me at the time was a non-turbo SW20 MR2. Got you. So what were yeah. some of the things that you did to that car? Um, well, obviously, uh, we lowered it. Uh, it was non-turbo, so we couldn't do a whole lot, but we put exhausts. Uh, uh, had uh, the cams redone. Uh, we did uh, a 50-shot nitrous, and we hit it. So no one really knew what yeah. was going on with that. And, um, you know, intake, uh, MSD ignition, I remember that. And then uh, I actually got electrocuted in, in uh, installing that. <laughs> Not fun. And then, um, and it was a really cool car because, like, people knew it was non-turbo, and uh, so people would hit me up to race. But because I had the nitrous, I'd at least break off like all the stock turbo cars, yeah, like the stock clips and stuff like that. And they're like, "What? What's going on with that?" But but when you go to like the big boy races, and then uh, you see like all all the be- like the legendary you know turbo MR2 guys like. You know, creeping around asking you to race. I'm like, no, nah, good. So, <laughs> just, just the Hondas. Huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and my little brother, he had a Del Sol with the B16. Oh, cool! There, Very but, cool. Yeah. So it was funny at the time. Um, we had to park our cars outside all the time. Yeah. And and I had probably better, way better system in it. I had nicer wheels. I had some Japanese wheels. Oh, they're called like P1, like some three piece wheels, and. Um, my brother had a manta rays and a, you know like a head unit some basic stuff in it and because it was a honda it always get broken into oh wow <laughs> and my mrt nobody even <laughs> look at it because <laughs> they didn't know what to do with it right so, <laughs> so hondas that was like the preferred platform back then yeah for the most part yeah the egs you know d you know da at first and when the dc came out then everybody was you know going into that and then, uh, yeah, and our group of friends, you know, we all formed like car crews and we're all cruising around. And I'd say the majority of the cars that people were putting together were all Hondas. Got you. So tell yeah. me about your uh, your car crew, Macross 7, TM7? Yeah, TM7, Team Macross 7. So uh, being predominantly Asian group, you know, we're all into, you know, anime and stuff like that. And I think probably, probably for a lot of people, one of the most influential you know, uh, animes was uh, Macross or Robotech. Uh-huh. That's what it was called back then. And and uh, that the name somebody recommended it. It stuck. And uh, yeah, it grew up to be a really big car crew. And you know, we were winning, you know, events, shows, and we had cars at all the battle of the imports. And uh, yeah, we had and even rivalries and stuff like that. And yeah, it was really good. Very cool, yeah. man. So and we and most of the guys, we still even most of the guys from that crew, we still talk to this day. Yeah, I was uh, I was talking to to Jonathan Wong last night, yep. mm-hmm. and then he was uh, when he did the podcast with us. I remember that he was he was talking about the car crew as well. Yeah, that's, man. That's, yeah, that's cool, man. That's that's a lot of history right there. Yeah, Jonathan has been uh, one of my best friends uh, since high school. Wow, that's awesome, yeah. dude. And high school for us now that's what twenty five years ago. Yeah, so, yeah, long time. 
Did you go to your uh, your ten year anniversary? No, no, I was like a I was a really bad kid in high school. <laughs> I wasn't really in I wasn't really in school much, but I but I, I maintained a pretty good um, GPA. I could probably say I had all things considered, I was doing pretty good at school, yeah. but I, I wasn't doing much. So. <laughs> what kind of stuff was, were you into? Well, we're messing with our cars. Uh, we just. I just had a couple friends, you know, I won't call them out, but a couple friends when we go to, go to school, we'd be walking. I, I would get to school on time. We would have a cigarette in the morning <laughs> and then we would be walking to walking in the hallways. And right when we like face each other, then we'd both give a nod and we'd both turn the same way. <laughs> and then we'd probably go to like an arcade, shoot pool, yeah. uh, smoke weed, you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, we were just doing all those kind of things. Yeah, we were bad. Um, but I still maintain like an average 3.6 GPA. So yeah. that's probably why I didn't get kicked out of school. So. <laughs> the good old days, man. Yeah, I, I remember that, dude. Just when you had the older friend, it's always the older friend. And then we would just uh, di- ditch at their house and just hang out. And yeah, and man. As long yeah. as the grades stood, stood tall, then you're fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, like, so eventually it, it, that did catch up to me. And, uh, and my my parents found out, and oh man, they yeah they flipped the top. Oh really? And oh, of course, when they found out, I had so many truancies, so they flipped the top, and and I bounced actually, and I, I ran away for like six months. Oh wow! <laughs> and, and which was pretty dumb, but <laughs> I can say that it was like the, the time of my life. I was like, you know, we're out all the time. Um, you know, I made money gambling and working at. The local pool, and I eventually, you know, reconciled. But uh, and the, and the school took me back, so I became a, a super senior. Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, interestingly, I still got to college and everything. Um, but I, I would never recommend going that route. But I think I learned a lot um, being on my own like that at such a young age and uh, experiencing all the, the things that I experienced. Yeah, it always seems like the 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 rough parts and the um, the struggles that you go through and maybe the lessons that you learned that maybe you shouldn't have learned they uh they they did you well later in life yeah and you know thankfully my, my parents are cool <laughs> we're cool <laughs> with each other and uh we, we had a rough uh you know start but uh but now we're, we're good and i think they're pretty proud of how both me and my brother turned out so did you feel like you just didn't connect with school or you just wanted to do your own thing or I think it was you know, a lot of the pressures that um, you face growing up as like an Asian American kid because your parents all they care about is like doctor, lawyer. Yeah. You know, you got to get into a good school so I could brag about it to my parents and stuff mm. like that. And um, and so I think you know, in my early high school, I was I was great at school. I was going every day and no problems. But I think maybe I cracked under a lot of that pressure and I started to rebel. And, uh, I think that was probably the main part of that. And, um, and, and now I've developed that personality where if somebody tries to force something upon me that, and I totally want to do the opposite. Gotcha. Right? Got you. So, yeah, I think that was probably the, the major contributing factor to that. And, um, you know, in hindsight, yeah, I probably should have been good, <laughs> but, but, you know, with everything that happen in life and everything that i experienced i you know i wouldn't have it any other way 
Yeah, no, a lot of people that I talk to and they've gone through hard things in your in their lives, it really seems to help them mature a lot earlier and, and sets them up for, you know, a better life in the future. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I feel like there's some stuff that I should have done back in the day that I didn't do because I was just always thinking about the consequences. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what's that saying? It was a good idea at the time, right? <laughs> yeah, right. That's all that matters, dude. So did right. you do a lot of street racing? Uh, a fair amount, yeah. So we're out at Silmar, Ontario. Um, we're really like looking up. We really enjoyed actually looking at looking up to all the really fast guys. Um, but we, we were definitely out there, you know, racing, messing around ourselves. I went to jail for racing. Oh, no so. shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, we were we were racing at uh the tr- at City Industry, mm-hmm. and um the cops they were watching us, and then they, they they all blocked us in right, and so we all got racing tickets. When they, they get arrested or anything like that, and uh and so we got our racing tickets, and me being young and stupid and not believing in you know the the justice system at the time, yeah. um I went in there. Uh, a couple of my friends, they got lucky. They got their tickets signed off somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was probably too afraid to go that route because I didn't want to, you know, the consequences, right? Yeah. So, so anyways, I, I, I got, um, I pled no contest because the lawyer, I couldn't afford a lawyer. So their quarter appointed lawyer, he sucked. Yeah. Right. And he said, just plead. Right. He, he didn't want to spend time on me. So, um, no contest. He's, slapped me with a huge violation, um, you know, a huge fine and, you know, all of the other things that went along with it and being young and not having a lot of money and those kind of things. Uh, I just, you know, conveniently forgot to, to pay for mm-hmm. <laughs> you know the fines and stuff like that. And one day I went to go, um, I was playing basketball in Silver Lake, you know, my friend had a key to the, to the gym and we were, it's like midnight and all the cops busted in and they're like, okay, what are you guys doing here? We got to check out your info. And then two of the people, one being me, uh, we had warrants for arrest. <laughs> and so, so, so we went into, so I went to County for like three days. Um, so it was pretty funny. And at that time I was working at a bank and, uh, I had to call my friend. I didn't call my parents. So I had to call my friend to call the bank cause I was worried about getting fired yeah. and, and told them what happened. And when I got out and went back to work, they're all laughing at me because uh, uh, they knew I wasn't a bad kid. They knew it was for racing, so they didn't, so they didn't really care. But I don't know if you ever watched. They asked me, "Do you have you ever watched a movie called uh, Shawshank Redemption?" I've never seen it. I know. It's so it's an old movie. It's about um, a banker that goes to jail, mm-hmm. and so, so so for the rest of my time working there, they they always made fun of me about that. So. <laughs> but well, since then, since then, I can tell you that I've never broken the law. So. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. How, how old were you at that time probably 18 yeah probably 18 19 yeah what? yeah 18 19 and uh, at the time it was a uh, green light on asians so everybody wanted to kick kick an asian's ass for some reason wow why <laughs> so, why was that i don't know probably some gang shit or something i don't know gotcha. and so i literally um huddled in at the the, the holding area with a I remember a bunch of like Vietnamese gangsters and everybody hits you up like, what are you in for? Right. Yeah. And I didn't want to say racing cause I thought I probably gave my ass kick cause I was too pussy. Yeah. So I was like, all I said was I have a $15,000 warrant yeah. and they'd, they'd pass by me and they'd be like, all right, 
<laughs> <laughs> then um probably one of my most vivid memories being in in the lockup i got moved into like this small um cell and and uh they would call you, they would do like a roll call, right? And they call you out by your last three numbers. And I still remember, you know, my numbers to this day. It's a 020. Yeah. And so they, you know, and I was trying to get some sleep because I couldn't sleep because, uh, you know, I felt a little safer in, in the smaller pin, right? So I used a, a roll of toilet tissue as a pillow. And uh, I was trying to get some sleep and they called out my name. And uh, I was all good. And there's another guy um, sleeping and they called out his number and he wouldn't answer for like you know five tries and finally the sheriff is like five six two or whatever right and the guy's like oh that's me and he runs in there you know picks him up and a bunch of sheriffs come kick his ass and uh, they're like if you're gonna be in there you know, get your head out of your ass you know and, and learn some english right uh-huh. you know and then after that when they started roll calling everybody everyone's like here <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah, I think back, I mean they roughed him up a yeah. little bit, but yeah, I think back in the days that was okay. But now obviously you can't do that. So yeah, times were different back in the days, huh? Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Uh, you got to be a little bit more hard edged. So yeah, no, yeah. definitely, man. I think that if uh, technology was up to par back then, we would have seen a lot of stuff that was going on behind the scenes. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. So now. I think more than anything, as a, as a human being, you know, everything you're going to have to remember here, you know, in your head. Um, and unfortunately, with, you know, all the conveniences of the phones, you have to rely on your, your phone as a kind of a cybernetic implant, right, to, to help you remember things. So, have you, um, have you seen that thing that Elon Musk is working on? The, um, like the chip, what is it called? The link something? Yeah, not not in detail, but I, I know that he's working on something. Yeah, yeah, he he just did a new episode on the the Joe the Joe Rogan, the Rogan. podcast. Yeah. yeah, and he was talking about it. Ah, I forget it's something link, but he was talking about it that you're gonna have to cut like a, a piece of your skull out to put the little computer or what it whatever it is inside of there. Right, and right. the wires will go inside of your brain, and he said that that should be live within the next five to ten years. The Neuralink, Neuralink, that's what it's called. Right, Neuralink, okay. I, I'm not surprised. I think that's the future. I think that's progress. Um, I, I don't want to be the guinea pig. Yeah, <laughs> I'll definitely. tell you that. I'll, I'll take Neuralink sure 4. People, yeah, I'm sure plenty of people sign up for it. And if it works out, great. You know, if, it, if it's working great for a while, then who knows? Maybe I'll do it too. Yeah, no, definitely, man. As long as it's affordable, you know, I could see this causing a way bigger gap between the haves and the have-nots especially if you have some kind of tool like that inside of your body yeah and that, that's the unfortunate part of what's happening where you know that gap between the haves and have-nots it's it's increasing wider and and uh, it, i've been really fortunate to travel around the world and uh, i've seen you know countries where that that is just a, a really huge problem where that gap is just so at the far ends of each spectrum uh it's pretty sad to see yeah definitely man now as far as traveling where are some places that you've been that, that you really enjoy um i love going to japan still i've been to japan probably 30 plus times yeah uh, i love going to japan um korea uh i love going to mexico um europe i haven't done a huge amount but i've gone to like 
Hungary for F1. Uh, partied in Amsterdam. That was pretty cool. Oh, really? Yeah, that was really cool. I went for a bachelor party. It's pretty wild. And then, nice. um, where else? Australia. I went to Australia for F1. Australia is probably one of my favorite countries. Oh, really? Uh, Very cool. Yeah, super cool. Uh, Canada was. It's, it's always been a great time. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't think I can say that I've been to a really bad place. So, Southeast Asia, like Thailand, Philippines. Uh, Vietnam, I had you know incredible times down there. Actually, I got married in Thailand last year. Oh, congrats, man! Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was an amazing time, um, and uh, and I'm pretty sure everybody else, everybody that went and attended, you know, had a really wonderful time. We uh, we we had our wedding, and then the next day we were able to rent like a big boat and get on there, and everyone just partied and. You know, nurse their hangovers and work into new ones. How so. many uh, people went out there? About 80. No way. <laughs> Golly. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of them were car guys. Yeah, Jonathan was out there. Uh, a lot of people from the industry. So, uh, like, Di, Mike from Evasive, Mike and Tony from Evasive. Yeah, a lot, a lot of guys. So, it was a really good time. Man, that's love, bro. I can't even get 80 people to come to my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome dude how long were you and your uh wife together for um well now we're together total about seven seven ish eight eight years okay yeah so we were uh, we got engaged actually oh man i'm getting in trouble probably three years prior to our wedding no two years prior to our wedding and um and the reason why the, the engagement broke off so long was that i was still working at my old job yeah and I, I didn't realize that I was going to actually quit and start my new business. So, um, and obviously we couldn't, I didn't think it was a good time to spend the money for a wedding, you know, while we were building up our business and she was still in uh, nursing school. Mm. So we, uh, we decided to put it off. And once things became stable, we, we decided to, you know, get it over, get it done. So very cool. How'd you end up proposing? Um, so we did the proposal in Thailand and um, one of our good friends, he's like a, a famous singer out there. And, uh, and uh, you know, go, whenever we would go to Thailand with friends or, you know, I used to go there for business, um, we'd go hang out at his concerts and have a really good time. So, you know, I had the bright idea of hitting him up to do it at a concert, mm. you know, and, and most of his concerts, they're like really intimate type of settings. So I was like, hey, let, when we do our uh, friends trip in Thailand, can I proposal yeah and he's like yeah let's do it so so when i followed up with him he's like okay let's do it at this event and it's kind of like the coachella of thailand <laughs> and, and so i ended up uh at first i didn't want to do it but he's like don't be a pussy and i was like <laughs> fine. okay i'll do it so i ended up proposing in front of like fifty thousand people so. wow no way <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty wild yeah was really cool. did your wife know that you were proposing Oh no, absolutely not. She was like, Why are we going on stage? We were backstage and just enjoying the show and and she was just in a daze and you know, obviously it was it was really cool because the whole crowd was really into it and and our, our buddy Bryn, the singer, yeah, um, it it pumped him up because the crowd was going off and he started, you know, getting into his songs and it, it was a really special moment. Very cool, man. Congratulations yeah. again, man. Yeah, thank you. Marriage is a beautiful thing, man. Yeah, it's it's been awesome. Um in, in like even during COVID, us being around each other, you know, we're in, in, in each other's faces all the time. Uh, 
you know, we're still uh, enjoying each other and not, <laughs> you know, not yeah. killing. So, so I know I, I definitely uh, picked the right person. To be I with. think that that's the, the true test right now, things that are going on, you know, <laughs> if you could stay at home with them. Yeah. So it's been funny. Like now she's so used to me being around all the time because we both have hectic, hectic lives. Yeah. Uh, you know, yesterday I had to go run a bunch of errands and, and she's, she's pretty much like, when are you coming up? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you can't be that used to me because my life gets back to normal. Um, I'm not going to be around as much, right? So yeah, so. man, we've we've been having so much fun lately. Do that right when yeah. I get off work, go home, we'll hang out, make dinner, and we've been mm -hmm. going on uh, on bike rides. Just yeah, yeah. Like a few weeks back, I was just talking to my wife. I said, like, you don't even know how to ride a bike. She's like, what are you talking about? I said, well, I never seen you ride a bike. So that night we went for a, bi a bike ride around the neighborhood, and it, it just made me feel like a kid again. I'm like, right, man, this right. is this is what it's all about, dude. Yeah, it's it's cool because you see a lot of people just out into the neighborhoods now, just walking, you know, yeah. enjoying the outdoors. Um, it, it's weird. Yeah, as they should be. It's weird, man. I feel like people people were kind of in in a daze. You know, we were we were in our, the rat race. You know, this is what we have to do every week. You know, and then the the weekends we got to go to soccer or do whatever. But once all that ended, it kind of made you realize, like, man, we don't need to do all that stuff to have, like, a good life. Right. You know? Right. Right. And it's really yeah, making me evaluate a lot of things. Yeah, life, uh, you know, just all of a sudden got a lot more simple, you know, and uh, and you have to start focusing on more singular tasks, right? So, like, you talked about cooking dinner. Like, I think one of the outcomes of this is everyone's going to turn into a master chef, yeah. right? <laughs> you know? Um, and everyone's gonna, uh, hopefully he's going to turn into a master cleaner or a janitor. Something. Right? You're, good at, you're cleaning all your stuff, cleaning your hands, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, just tasks that, you know, that you start to appreciate things, like being able to just go to the market, yeah. right? Like before you're like, oh, man, I can't, you know, you get all pissed off if you have to go. Now it's like I got to get in there. Um and being able to feed you know our family right so uh you, so you appreciate food you appreciate a lot of simple things and a lot of services and that you know translates to our appreciation also to like healthcare workers and a lot of other people that um you know frontline people that you typically uh you know kind of neglect during times of peace right yeah no definitely i think after this a lot of people are going to have appreciation for the smaller things which which was missing a mm -hmm. lot we always had our eyes on the big prize and you know you want to be rich and famous fast cars big houses but you're yep. not not paying attention to what you have right in front of you at that moment okay everybody we're gonna take a quick break for our sponsors and we'll be back in one minute we all know that there's tons of places you can buy your car parts at but when you really need help who's in your corner when you need parts for your Honda, you need to visit HeelToeAuto.com. Since 2002, Heeltoe has built a reputation for service and support. Let me repeat that, guys. Since 2002, it's 2020 right now. That's a long time of experience, man. These social media slingers and copycat web stores can't match Heeltoe's professionalism. Heeltoe even offers a complete OEM store for all your genuine parts needs. Whether it's for show, race, or just a badass daily, remember that HeeltoeAuto.com is in your corner. And guys, if you're on Instagram, make sure you check them out at Hilltoe Automotive. Please, please go to their page right now, add them, and comment that you heard them on Downtime with Downstar podcast. Next up is Downstar. Downstar is the premium leader in dress-up hardware and engine bay accessories. 
We have all the nuts and bolts for all your screwing and nutting needs. From engine kits, transmission kits, mount kits, clutch lines, brake kits, t-shirts, skateboards, hats, lighters. Damn, we got it all. We we actually have too much, guys. So if you can, please come over and buy some stuff at downstarring.com or check us out at Instagram at downstar. Make sure you give us a follow. Now, back to the show. Yeah, like, uh, oh my God, like these past uh four three four weekends uh, a bunch of car guys we've been getting together and we've been taking drives through uh, angeles crest yeah. and the mountain areas and um you know just to have that mixture of being able to get in your car and be free a little bit and then you know when we get to the meetup spot and we all get together and we socially distance you know yeah. just hang out and talk and you know you're also being in like nature um you know you 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 know, and after you come home, you learn to realize, you know, like you got to really appreciate life and, and all the, the blessings that are afforded you. Yeah, definitely, mm-hmm. man. Hopefully everybody's doing good out there and just uh, trying to stay positive with everything. But uh, I, w- I want to take it back a little bit. So back in the day when you're at the street races, who were the, the Toretto's? Who were the, the big name guys and maybe some of the guys that are still around to this day? You know, going Going to the races, you saw like the, the the beginnings or the underpinnings of a lot of the, the big people that you see today. Um, I would say, you know, going back in the days, a lot of the fast guys that I remember were like uh, like Wicked Racing, Cyber, you know, um, like super, you know, OG guys, right? Um, Steph Papadakis. I think a lot of the young people, you know, and you know, current, you know, my generation, we all know who he is, and then you know, back in the days, he was out there. Uh, I think he had a, what, an H22, you know, he was doing those swaps. And um, and you can see the underpinnings of that, how he was figuring things out and and developing his technical skill into a lot of things that he was doing today. Um, I had, let's see, oh, what was a pretty interesting one? Yeah, like back in the days, like, I, I, don't, I don't know how the street races are now. Mm-hmm. I, I know they're going on and I know people are doing all those takeovers. Yeah. I mean, all that crazy stuff. But back in the day, you know, it was about, you know, money. Mm-hmm. And uh, my generation, I would say we're kind of like that in between. Like the old school guys were racing for big money. You know, like all the guys that I hung out with that are a lot older than me in the industry, they would tell me how they would race for thousands of dollars and they'd have to have a middleman hold the money. Yeah. You know, just, you know, just in case. And, and they were doing everything, every little trick in, in the book <laughs> they could to get an edge, right? Yeah. You know, they're doing burnouts of Coca-Cola and, uh, <laughs> or like they would like scout out the track. And, and if there's a sprinkler is going off on one side, you know, they, they make sure they're not on that side. And, you know, they would never pop They were never pop hoods. Yeah. Never. And, um, and, and they would race for big money. I've seen people race for motors. Um, wow. Motors. Think, yeah. Yeah. One time it was, I think it was wicked versus somebody else. And we were there watching it. And they had slicks. They were doing burnouts, and um, and I think Wicked won. And immediately right after, they took took it to the shop to take out the motor. So wow, dude, I never yeah. heard of that. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of interesting. Yeah, a lot of stuff. And uh, you know, obviously the adrenaline that you had of running from the cops, you yeah. know, and, and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think um, the guys that I remember seeing. Um, Probably like the, the Wicked's uh, and a lot of those guys end up in the industry. So yeah. like JoJo, Steph, 
um, uh, Vietnam, you know, all those guys, yeah. I still remember them. Um, and, and I think that parlayed into the, the battle of imports. Yeah. Right. So a lot of those guys that are, that were pretty big on the street, they're now going to, to Frank choice mm-hmm. And we were, you know, at that time we were still young and, and a little bit slower. So we would go to all the beginning events and just, you know, Google Gaga over all the cars and everything like that. And then we started to come up and, and we started to bring in our fast cars too. Do you remember when um, Steph and uh, the Bergenholtz were going at it? When, yeah. Mm-hmm. What was yeah. that like? Um. Well, I don't, I don't. I don't remember them having beef. Did they have beef? No, it wasn't beef. But it was oh, about when, when yeah, racing? with the racing, and then oh, when yeah. the the wheelie bars were coming out, oh, yeah. and yeah, that was the beginning of innovation, right? Right. Like uh, I think uh, Ron was doing Ron Ed were doing the wheelie bars. Yeah, they did it first, mm-hmm. right? Um. But oh, what crew was Ron in? Was he in Wicked? Yeah, yeah he was he in Wicked was in too, Wicked, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, they were in Wicked too. So. Um, Oh my God. Like, I just, I just remember the one thing I appreciate about Ron and Ed's cars were that they had their, their, their integras were show quality. Yeah. Yeah. They were show quality. Um, but at the same time, they're really fast. You know, I, I think, um, Steph's cars were a little bit more innovative, technical. Um, of course, you know, that parlayed into all of this like tube frame and, you know, you know, a singular, you know, race cars. Right. Um, but just to see them line up and, oh, my God, like, you know, once the first car would break 11s, right, or even 12s, yeah. right, yeah. we would all be like, hooray, you know, <laughs> and be so excited. And, um, you know, just the thrill of seeing somebody break that was just incredible, right? And then even one of our guys, he, you know, he broke into the 11s when that was super fast, right? And, you know, the car was built by, you know, JG, remember all those names, JG and yeah. uh, yeah. the crew and all that. All this, is, all this stuff's just coming back to me. Like, I have- gotten so long right and um and to see just progression right every season we're just like okay who's gonna break into the 11s now right and that was like the big question and then after that the 10s and of course Steph came out and broke you know broke into single digits right and that was just just awe-inspiring and then you know to see that grow and and become a nationwide phenomenon and then also go get then you see the international guys like signal and all the other you know japanese tuners starting to bring their cars you know apex brought a crazy integra back in the days and uh, they try to compete and and to bring that jdm flavor to what we were trying to do which was kind of like a, a grassroots movement yeah. it really just uh, legitimized and 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 helped to really uh you know propel that into like you know new heights yeah definitely man now i know jonathan was really big into the jdm stuff uh were you as well um, yeah, I would say for the most part, um, I loved just, you know, as, as a kid, you know, we'd go to like all the bookstores just to check out all the parts. Um, you know, we were at tuning, you know, like, you know, the speed shops, you know, that was basically what we did, right? Yeah. We, if we weren't shooting pool or like messing with cars, we're at the shops just hanging out, you know, always asking for prices, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> knowing that we couldn't afford it. And, um, you know, and then, you know, you go to some of the nice shops and you see some of the premium Japanese parts and you just, just, wow. You know, at the time you would just see these three-piece wheels and um, you'd you just be amazed at how, you know, awesome they were. And then some of the guys that were able to, that were fortunate enough to put those on their cars, you know, oh my God, you know, you know, everybody was just 
go crazy over it. And then when we got to, when it was our turn and when we were starting to put those things on, um, yeah, it was just such an awesome feeling. And um, yeah, JNEM, I, I was maybe not as crazy into it as Jonathan. Yeah. Uh, but I would say that, you know, I knew the brands. Um, and if I was ever interested into a platform, I would always go through like, like a hyper rev and try to learn everything I can about it, you know, so I could be pretty well, uh, well versed and knowledgeable about it. Got you. So what were some of the shops back in the day that you would hang out at? Uh, I'd say, uh, pick crew. Pick crew was probably our home base for a very long time. Okay. Yeah. Pick crew uh, in San Gabriel Valley. Uh, we hung out, out at promotion a lot. Uh, that's Pro promotion. Yeah. Promotion. So they were one of the OG, um, See, promotion and Carmate. So those are the two, like, promotion and Carmate are super OG shops, right? And and those two businesses actually parlayed into really big distribution houses. So Carmate turned into Options Auto Salon, which is still going on okay. today. And then promotion, um, they turned into a really big uh, distribution company. And as I, the cool part is as I started, you know, working for, you know, my old job, Mackin, you know, I started developing, you know, uh, interesting relationships because before I was a customer mm -hmm. and then, then I became a vendor and then I got to see kind of all sides of, of the business. Right. Yeah. Dude. Mm -hmm. Very cool, man. I, I just mm -hmm. want to pick your brain about all this old school stuff, man, because I've just been talking to so many uh, people that have been in the industry longer than I have and just, mm -hmm. just keep hearing the same names come up the same shops and it, it's like all making sense now. Oh yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every, every, Back in like the '90s and early 2000s, there every community had like a go-to shop. Yeah, you know, like the South Bay. I remember I had like ES uh, Technical Road Sports and um, like the East Side, like Roland Heights and Walnut. There was like Rebel Car, right, okay. and V Spec, and you know all these other shops, right? Uh, SPs, you know, came about, right? Um, oh my God! In San Diego, you know, they had their shops, right, and. And I think during like what we call like the golden era, like right before Fast and Furious happened, yeah. and probably during that time, and those shops they were doing really well. Now, what uh, what happened after the movie came out? I think it, it brought it into the mainstream, mm -hmm. and uh, and then you see like, just like shops pop up all over the country, mm -hmm. turning into really big businesses. And at that time, that was just like the thing to do. So if you open up a, a like a car parts store, it didn't matter if you knew what you, you didn't matter if you knew what you were doing. You were probably still doing well. Yeah, right. And uh, then you see like the rise of like Nopi, you know, on the East Coast, right? Um, you see, uh, you know, Paisley had his, you know, you know, business out in the, in the Northeast, right? Um, you know, you know, huge tuning shops in Washington and Texas or whatnot. They're just popping up and just turning into really big powerhouses. So Nopi was a an East Coast brand. Yeah, Nopi's was in uh, Georgia. Okay. So they originally started out, I think, maybe in the 70s or whatnot as a, like a bug, like a VW parts Got you. business. And then as, you know, the Honda tuning started to really come online, um, they really took um, the mail order business platform mm -hmm. to the next level. So they started spending, you know, big money. They, they, everyone knew who they were because if you look back in the days at Turbo Magazine or Super Street or Sport Compact Car, all those old magazines, they're taking out like, you know, six to twelve page ads. Oh wow! Right? right. So everyone knew who they were, and and so they were just they were like 
kind of up in the game in terms of a mail order business, right? So yeah. they got really big, really strong, and that led to them throwing these these events called the Nopi Nationals. And so we used to have to go to those. And um, those were crazy. You see, like, 30,000, you know, kids and thousands of cars, you know, filling up, like, a Atlanta Motor Speedway, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just, you know, just the crazy shit that you see going on of people partying, yeah. <laughs> you know, doing burnouts and all that. You know, that was, like, the real takeover. So. <laughs> I miss those Nopi days, man, but they sound pretty awesome. Yeah, they were, they were wild, man. You just see, like, kids take over, like, hotels, and they're just all fucked up throwing furniture into the pools. and Yeah. It's just crazy, crazy shit. So it, it was a wild time. I think the closest good. we ever got to that was uh, Import Alliance in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Okay, okay. So um, Import Alliance, they would do, like, a, a small tour, um, like, the Midwest and things like that. Mm-hmm. But... Um, the summer meet was in Tennessee. So there was mm-hmm. one hotel that everybody would stay at and that was La Quinta. And right. uh, dude, it, it was insane. And the last year that they had it there, it was 2011. That was like, I can understand why it was the last year. They're setting off mm-hmm. fire alarms and fire extinguishers <laughs> and throwing TVs out. And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't do it, but I like watching it. So. Yeah, because the hotels, you could pay with cash. Like what kind of, what kind of 1940s business is this? You pay for a hotel room with cash. Here's a hundred bucks. We're going to go fuck it up. (laughs) Right. Oh my God. It's just amazing how many shitty hotel rooms I've stayed in. (laughs) Dude, one time I went to, uh, it was for Import Alliance again, and I went to Kentucky and I I just booked a hotel room. So I said, oh, it's just a hundred bucks a night, whatever. We're just going to sleep there and not. Dude, we get into the room and there's a full size refrigerator, a full size. I'm like, oh, that's kind of strange. Uh-huh. And then I'm just looking at the room a little closer, and there's like swastikas carved into the wall. And I say, oh, yeah, man. I'm out of here. I don't even <laughs> care about a refund. I'm out of here. Yeah, that, remi- that reminds me of one of, I think it was like one of my first Nopi trips. And so I was with um, this uh, gentleman, Scott Connemara. And a lot of people would you know, say he's one of, definitely one of the, the older cats in the industry. He's been all over. And he was my mentor and, you know, uh, my manager at the time. And and the first issue that I had was they lost my luggage. Oh shit! So that's one thing I remember. So the only I had to wear uh, Mackin shirts, but I had to borrow them from Scott, my partner, because they they lost his um, they lost my bag. But he's in he's like a double XL, <laughs> so it looked like I was wearing like a muumuu. Um, so that was kind of embarrassing. And and back in the days, uh, all you can do uh, to navigate, you have to go to like a Seven Eleven and you know buy a pack of cigarettes and a Thomas Guide, and yeah. you'd have to out you know how we would go. And and I remember we got lost in like the backwoods of like Georgia. Oh shit! And this is like at night, right? And then you know you'll see like trucks you know rolling around with Confederate flags and stuff like that, and you know. Um, and so I was like, okay, I think we're lost. So let's go to the gas station. So I went to the gas station. Scott was pumping gas. And then I, I go to the counter. And then I, I open up a Thomas Guide. And I'm like, excuse me? You know, we're pretty lost. Can you, like, um, help us get to the Speedway or wherever we we're going? And he looks up at me. And he's like, nope. And I look at him like, you have a nice day. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah, and I go over to him. I'm like, hey, man, I think we should get out of here. <laughs> wow yeah nothing happened but but you know just the you know just to experience that in like a 
you know, being from LA and being, yeah. uh, being so like, you know, mixed up and everything like that. That was pretty wild. So, yeah, yeah. I really didn't start, um, like realizing, I, I don't want to say racism cause I really didn't experience racism, but kind of segregation until I started mm. traveling a lot more. You know, when, right. when I was younger, my dad, he was, uh, he would drive, uh, like 18 wheelers, uh, cross country trucks. So one summer I went with yeah. him and I remember we went to a restaurant and we walked in and everybody just stared at us. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of weird, you know, and then just traveling more to the to the south and you mm -hmm. know, more in, in my um, in my older years, I, I realized like the it's very segregated still to this day. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting. Um, yeah, actually, I just took a trip with my partner, James, um, to we went to Hyperfest. So we were in the Carolinas mm -hmm. uh, last year and we went to uh, a Bojangles, mm -hmm. right? So we eat some fried chicken. And it was funny because it's 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 you know it's, it's a very predominantly white area, and so we would walk in, we would walk in there, and you know everyone would just kind of give us like a look like oh they're not from around here right yeah. so which is totally fine right and you know and everyone's super nice out there right and I love people out in the Carolinas yeah but part that cracked me up was there was uh, some Indian guys uh, rolling in like you know Indian Asian you know from Asia right like not not Native American yeah Indian guys rolled in and then they had a Carolina accent. And then they started ordering chicken, and they looked at us like, what the hell are you guys doing here? <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell are you guys? <laughs> what are you talking about? So, um, but it's just funny. Um, but, yeah, I totally experienced that. I've been in, like, Indiana or, you know, in just small town getting gas, and, you know, you go into a McDonald's, and everyone kind of like, what the hell? Even the kids are like, you know, they, they, they look at us like we're aliens, but yeah. it's all good. Look and smile, and it's all good. Man. Yeah, no, definitely, man. And uh, I don't blame a lot of people because if if you're not fortunate enough to leave your your city or you know a fifty mile radius from where you're from, you don't mm. really understand the rest of the country. And if you see California from TV or New York on TV, you think that it's a totally different world, and it it is. We're experiencing to so many different things out here that people would you know like in Indiana or something like that. So I always take it with with like a grain of salt maybe some of some of the things it's just that they haven't had the the privilege to experience different cultures and, and different ways of thinking about things oh yeah for sure and, and when i do travel i always do my best to to really experience like you know i don't go for like your typical like cookie cutter restaurant or chain restaurant i want to i look for like just the down home you know just original authentic cooking from wherever i go and and oh my god like it's you know, we're, I'd say we're definitely blessed to have tried, you know, a lot of different cuisine, talk to people about it, um, you know, and just experience those things. And, and hopefully, you know, if we, it, with, with our interactions, maybe um, educate, you know, other, other people about, you know, just that there's other people out in the world and, and, and you know, make a positive impact. Yeah, as fortunate as we are to be from California, you know, and we always just look at the rest of the country, like, they're crazy or they're making the wrong decisions but i just don't think that we look at it the other way that maybe that they weren't as fortunate to be born over here you know mm. I, i've talked to people and they break it down so well they say that we won like the the lotto for just being born in the united states and sure. then we're born in california and then mm. socal you know and then close by the beach so there's so much privilege that comes with uh you know just where you were born at and there's a there's a lot to there's a lot of things that people need to 
open their eyes about, but it's really hard, especially if your whole family thinks a certain way. And I'm not even talking about racism. I, I'm just talking about, you know, I, ideas and the way that you would live your life. You know, if somebody from, you know, say the North Carolinas or something like that, if your whole mm -hmm. entire bloodline thinks a certain way, it's so hard to break out of that, that train of thought. Sure. And, and right. you know, you're going to be looked at as the outcast and it's going to be a hard road. But once you break that trend, then you can you can change the way that your bloodline goes. Right. Right. Yeah. I think it's really important for everyone to keep an open mind and to at least absorb everything that's going on around them. And, uh, you know, if you if, if you have this predisposition to anything, you know, that it just muddies like the outcome i think right you want to just absorb it and then take in everything and then figure out you know how you want to think or how you want to act i think that that's a really important thing so just open-mindedness um you don't have to agree with everybody it's all good and but at the same time you don't have to be militant or hostile it's just like hey if that's the way you think it's all good you know you're yeah. still um you know i'm not going to get mad over that right so i think traveling has definitely given me a, a much broader perspective on life and, and culture and things like that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, like just traveling outside of America, right? Um, oftentimes, you know, you, you know, Americans get a bad rap. Yeah. You know, they, they think we're, you know, obnoxious or, you know, we're, you know, pampered and, you know, and and I, I think it's, you know, the, the few times that I've had been able to talk with people, um, you know, from outside and, and interact with them in a positive light, you know, it's been probably one of the best, best experiences of my life. I don't know, the one quick situation that came to mind, I was in a, a China for business and uh, I went to like a big dinner, um, you know, with, with, with our partner factories and, um, and some of the people in there were Iranians, mm -hmm. you know, from Iran. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, we sat down and, you know, you know, at first, because of all the media and everything like that, you're slightly uncomfortable. Um, but then once we started talking, we started sharing drinks together. Uh, they told me how much they love Mustangs. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. why they're trying to sell Mustang parts. Um, and we talk about car culture. And that's why I love car culture, because it, it brings people from all walks of life, whether it's, you know, scumbags all the way to doctors and um educated to the uneducated and people from all walks of life you bring them together and you start talking about cars you're instantly you know in a brotherhood yeah and it definitely makes you humanize people that the media doesn't want you to humanize when you mm -hmm. meet somebody from a part of the country that you know the media just keeps putting down and then you meet them and you're like yeah this person's pretty cool and then it kind of makes you think like hey maybe a lot of the other people over there are pretty cool and like hey what the hell's really going on over there Right, 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 right. Yeah, I think, I think at, at the core of everything, you know, everyone's a human and, you know, you got to respect each other. And once you kind of cut through all the, the bullshit layers, you know, you realize, yeah, you know, people aren't so bad. Yeah, especially from watching 90 Day Fiance, I realized that everybody is crazy all over the world. <laughs> yeah, everyone can be definitely crazy. So. <laughs> So, uh, so let's get into, uh, into Mackin, man. How did that become that you started working for Mackin? Man, um, it, it was, it, it just all just kind of happened, you know, back in the days where, again, we we're just, our lives are centered around cars, right? But I didn't, I didn't really think that would be my calling in life, right? Selling, you know, basically selling car parts, right? Yeah. 
and uh, I was, you know, working at a bank, studying to get into that field, right, finance or, or, or anything related to that. And but being a car guy, you know, I had the opportunity. I interviewed to work there, and uh, you know, they hired me, and I thought it'd be just a fun summer job, just to score parts. Especially like, you know, like who in their teens could afford buying like Volk racing wheels, right? Yeah. And that was right when that program just started happening in America. And I was like, wow, I could get on the ground floor and I could get, you know, some, you know, good prices on it. And then after I just fixed my car and I bounced, right? Yeah. Right. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, working there one year became a couple years and you started rising up. I, you know, you know, became sales guy to sales manager to general manager, you know, all in a relatively short period of time. And to, and it was a really interesting time because when I started there, it was like in 1998. Yeah. And, and that, it was still a very analog world, okay. right? Like AOL was barely happening. Um, you know, all of our business was for sure done on a notepad, mm-hmm. right? Pen, pen and paper, uh, making phone calls and then you're just hustling, right? And to work in a situation where you transition from analog and towards the end of my career working there, everything was all digital, yeah. right? Right. You know, phones, uh, I didn't have to use Thomas guys to travel, you know, like, and thank God I don't have to use that kind of shit yeah. anymore, right? So, I, you know, to see the, the progress during and the transition during that um, career, it was, it was definitely very interesting and uh, it's a pretty awesome thing to see. Um, but, you know, I love the people. I love the brands. I love the innovation. Um, all my training uh, came from there, right? Yeah. Uh, and it being like a, a basic, relatively like small family run type of business, um, you can't, you're not like, you know, when you're in a in the corporate world, you, you have very singular jobs, right? Whereas um, in a smaller business, you have to do everything. Yeah, you're essentially just running a business. Yeah. Everything from the money side, you know, the parts side, and negotiations, and then to the sales side and and the service side, you have to deal with all that. And um, basically, I you know, all my chops, uh, you know, I, I bust you know busted ass there, learned everything, and that really prepared me for uh, you know my next uh, job. So, uh, what year was it that you stopped working there? Uh, it was 2016. Okay, so from 98 to 2016, you were there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, when you first started working there, um, just wanted to use it for the discount. I've uh, I've been there before, worked at stereo shops just to get some JL on the low. But mm-hmm. what? When did you realize that this was turning into um, a, a career for you and something that w- you were going to be there for a long run? I'd say just pretty, pretty much like a, a year, within a year into that, I dropped out of school, mm-hmm. of college. Um, you know, I, I, I was still working, you know, for the bank part time, and I, I quit that, and I, I put all my energy into, you know, Mackin, where I wanted. I was really interested in growing the brands, um, you know. The, the interactions you made, like calling off shops and making lifelong friends, you know, afterwards, yeah. uh, you know, and then and the travel, you know, the crazy times we had, you know, we're just traveling, you know, all over the country, uh, visiting cities, especially as like a guy in his early twenties, um, just flying all over the place, attending events, yeah. you know, uh, meeting all kinds of awesome people, going to shows, uh, just, just, you know, just all the crazy things that, that, that goes along with it, you know, like the partying and going to races and um, seeing factories, going to Japan yeah. and all those things like that, that, that was starting to happen very quickly. So I, I knew um, how much, 
you know, it was, it was something that I fell in love with. And, um, you know, obviously I did it for 18 years. So, so um, it was something that I, I thoroughly enjoyed. Did you start to uh, progress there pretty early from your, your entry level job? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I moved up pretty fast. Um, sales management, uh, then eventually became general manager running, you know, your own division, your own departments. Um, and it, it was a full-time job because you had to interact with all the factories in Japan, you know, at night. Um, and then, you know, all the stuff that you have to do during the day. And actually, the stuff that I was working on, just the aftermarket, it parlayed into working on, on OEM programs. So I did I worked on OEM programs for uh, Nissan, you know, Mazda, mm-hmm. um, uh, racing programs for, like, BMW Motorsport. So I got to work with like uh, Ray Hall Letterman. That was super awesome. Um, we we're supplying uh, wheels for their uh, M3 GT program, and um, and just you know providing you know helping out racers you know all over the world. It was just you know just pretty awesome time. Got you. Now uh, you have a an M2 right now, don't you? Yeah, it's a, it's a shop car. So we have a uh, within our shop we have an M2 uh, that uh, we've been beating up a lot. And uh, we have a, a Ford EcoBoost Mustang that's okay. been prefixed up, so we have that. Um, and then our partner Aaron, uh, he has a Civic Type R, yeah. like the Spoon, you know, Civic Type R. So we've been beating up on that. And we've, you know, throughout Titan Seven, we've had like a Super STI, and we got we built that and got rid of it. Um, and now we're so we're gonna keep the M2 because that, that's a pretty pretty awesome car. And uh, the Mustang, the lease is up, so we're gonna go get like a Jeep Gladiator. Yeah. So we're gonna go. We need a work truck, and uh, and then we've been thinking about getting a, a C8 Corvette too. Oh, nice, dude! I've I've been loving that car for sure. Uh, what do mm. you think of the uh, the M2? The M2 is awesome. Uh, I've owned uh, E46 M3 in the past, and also E92. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the M2 it kind of takes me back to the E46, mm-hmm. where it's a little bit more raw. Um, it has all the modern amenities, but you know it's a short wheelbase. You know it has a little bit more character. Uh, it's just you know it's manual. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's just it's just a delight to drive. That's still the same motor as the uh, M4, right? The S55. So the the M2, yeah, it's a detuned uh, oh, version. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, detuned, uh, less horsepower. So. Actually, I think the, the I think it's a derivative motor. I think the M2 competition now has the same motor as the as the M4. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's uh, that's what I have right now. Uh, M4 and mm-hmm. um, the JB4 full exhaust downpipes. I love that car, man. It's the best car I've ever had for sure. Yeah, it's fast. It does everything well. Right. Yeah, but it's yeah. uh, it's unfortunately going back to the dealer. So <laughs> I hope we. Hopefully I'll be getting something soon, man. I, I can't say <laughs> I can't say it on air until the paperwork's done, but uh, okay. <laughs> I'm excited. Right, right, right. I'm gonna need we'll some wheels though. <laughs> hey, give me a call, man. I'm gonna Just need some wheels. <laughs> so, um, when you started at Mackin, what were some of the skills that you realized that you had but you didn't know that you had? What did what did the the owners and your leadership see inside of you? that um that you honed in on yeah you know it was interesting um i think growing up i was like a inherently like a shy person and um and i quickly realized working there because i'm doing sales 
you have to get over it. So I, I, re I was really able to work on getting over, you know, being shy and, and you kind of, and also growing up, you know, in that era, you know, you're, you know, every, everyone pretty much just trying to have that mindset of not giving a fuck. Right. Yeah. So, um, and so I, I kind of took on that, that, that type of that train of thought. And, and I think it was just my ability to just go out and call anybody. Mm -hmm. and just be persistent and, and make and hustle and make deals uh, make it happen and obviously just seeing the growth of that i think that's probably one of the main contributing factors of my growth there what was something that helped you get out of um being shy like just being thrown into it <laughs> yeah kind of um it's kind of like the first time anybody travels somewhere and you see you, you do that cliff diving stuff um you know it's on your head yeah right it's kind of you know you just can't be just forget about being scared and forget about what anyone's going to say to you yeah. and just, just call in and, you know, just, just make the call and be persistent. You know, if they, like, like I, I kind of came up I mean, with sales. My, the way I think about it is it's only a matter of time before they end up buying from you. Mm -hmm. Right. So they might hang up on you a hundred times, but if you keep persisting and you keep persisting at some point, they're going to, you're going to get them. Right. Yeah. And so I think just, just getting over the fear and and understanding that if I was scared and, and I wouldn't pick up the phone and make business happen, I'd get fired. Right. Yeah. So this is very simple thinking, right? Like hey, if I don't do well, I'm gonna get kicked out, right? So I better get over whatever whatever is bothering me and just get to it. Yeah. And just put in the yeah, just put in the work. That's it. Definitely, man. So let's talk about um about Volk. Um you say you got in there barely when they they made that deal to be the exclusive um distributors of Volk. uh what yeah. was what was that like in the beginning oh it was super interesting like uh the the hit wheel that that they were bringing in at the time was the, the av3 okay so it was like a, a five spoke wheel um beautiful wheel multi-piece wheel and that pretty much brought about like the the the, the rotas and the konigs all the the the, the replica wheel industry for the tuning market segment mm -hmm. so that pretty that was a wheel that pretty much set that off um and then at the same time there was this uh this simple six spoke wheel called the te37 yeah and i it was a six spoke wheel uh, they colored it in white and i remember taking it to shops and people would kick me out of there they'd be like they're like what is, what is this ugly wheel that you're bringing over to me right and so it's so funny because now everyone loves that wheel right yeah and and i uh, I would have to just go preach the wheels to shops and, and people would literally kick me out of the shops not wanting to buy it. And I'd be like, no, 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 wait. No, the wheel, the reason why this wheel is so cool, it's light, strong, you know, forging and all that. And I have to do the edu you know, it's, it's all about preaching and educating, right? And just talking to anybody that's willing to listen. And, and, and that's like the uphill battle, right? And then at some point you keep preaching about it and you're going to hit that crest and it's going to start moving faster, right? And people are going to realize that it was good. And it took... I think it took a good, you know, almost a decade for it to really, before it really started hitting, right? Then you start seeing it on all the race cars, right? We start putting, you know, working with a lot of race programs. Um, people start realizing when they take it to the track or even on the street, you know, they, it would hit potholes and, you know, on the track it would you know, hit all kinds of, you know, horrible things and it would still survive. And, and that's where it kind of built its legendary status. Now, was there a lot of people pushing that wheel or, or was it mostly just you? Well, well, Mackin was on. Well, yeah, in the well, we had a couple sales guys, so it was always a small team, probably anywhere 
from anywhere from two to four guys at a time uh, when I, I was there, and um, I, you know, I was I was the lead guy, you know, pushing pushing those wheels at the time, and um, just developing relationships with businesses and distributors, and um, you know, in the beginning it was really tough, like because who wanted to buy like you know back then a seventeen inch wheel, you know, it's not as much as it is now, but it was probably five, six hundred bucks or seven hundred bucks or something like that. I don't remember, but that's that's a lot of money. Yeah. Right. For especially back in the days, right? And for them to for for you to overcome that perceived value of what the customer was thinking, because they're like, this is not worth it. Right. It, it was a really hard thing to do. Now people are just buying it like without even thinking about it, right? Yeah. But but and then that was the part that I'm proud of that we were able to accomplish, you know, the marketing and the push to turn it into what it is today. It's pretty much the Air Jordan of wheels. Oh, you know? definitely. Hell yeah. yeah, dude. Yeah. That's that's one of the greatest wheels out there, man. That's uh, Yeah, you put a different color on it, um, you know, people just go crazy, right? So <laughs> Now the first wheel you said that that was the wheel that 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 spawned like knockoffs. The yeah, 80? the AV3. Uh-huh. Yeah, AV3, what, the five-spoke wheel. Mm -hmm. What was it that you think about that wheel that that made other people see that as an opportunity? Well, we're selling a shitload of them. So, <laughs> so we're selling a whole bunch of them, and and I think that really was was the beginning. And, and at the same time, like fast furious and all that started happening, right? And so. You know, entrepreneurs they took they saw that as an opportunity because yeah. the AV3 was a very expensive wheel. Why don't we bring out, you know, a very cheap, a much cheaper copy to offer wheels in the lower price segment, right? It's, it's I mean, that's business, right? Yeah. And there was no yeah. way to protect against that. I think, I think the, the there are ways you can you can register it as like a design or whatnot. But if you change, but you know, like the the wheels are changed around enough for you to for you to have a hard time, right? You can you can always like go into litigation and sue somebody and just waste time and you know waste your you know like competition. Somebody told me that there's different ways to comp to compete, right? You can compete on product quality, you can compete on price, right? And you can also compete on time, meaning like you can just sue somebody, right? And then you can go after them and and you're going to end up spending money, but you're also going to, you know, force the other side to spend money and time as well. Hmm. So um, we didn't feel like that was a road that we wanted to go down. We we're just too busy selling our own product. And and since we were taking the high end route and, you know, the low end route, I don't think you're going to have the same customers. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. But yeah. A guy that's, you know, looking to spend, you know, four grand on a set of wheels, he's not going to really even really consider like something that was like a thousand bucks. Right. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I, so everyone has everyone has their own lane, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, I've always thought about it just like a, a diabolical way, as if the um, if the the main manufacturer, if they like had somebody else running like the knockoff company, and then they're just eating the whole pie. Oh, it happened. It's that 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 kind of stuff definitely <laughs> happened. There, there's companies out there. There's stuff in the past. That, You've seen the rise and fall of, of companies because they did stuff like that too. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Remember uh, Racing Heart back in the day? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, that was like a, a competitive brand out of Japan. And everyone loved that wheel, especially in the 90s. And um, and then uh, the company that was importing it at the time, um, you know, they, they, they had that idea. They created a, a cast wheel brand called RH Evolution. And so people were attributing 
you know, the, the brand to, you know, the Japanese brand, mm. even though it was like a, like a cheap, you know, cast, you know, one piece wheel. And they sold shitload of them in the beginning. But then I think people started to realize, you know, what was going on. And uh, eventually, uh, I think, you know, that brand started to fizzle out. Yeah. So yeah. working, uh, working at Mac and what are some of the, the memories that you have from working there? Maybe events that you've been able to attend, people that you've met, uh, cars that you've worked on. What is something that like stands out from those? Oh my God. Um, it's just like this huge, big, I've done so much, like everything from probably one of the coolest things was, uh, at the time, uh, Ray's, they were, uh, uh, participating in Formula One, mm-hmm. so we were able to get like hospitality and go to a lot of F one events. So that was probably some of the most amazing times that I've had. Nice. You know, you know, to all the different F one events. Um, you sit in the paddock with like famous people. Yeah, um, I remember we were in Montreal at the F one race, and you see like Drake, Rihanna, you know, all these people just you know cruising through, right? And I, I didn't really care about that, and and um and then i see uh andrew bynum walk by uh-huh. remember the laker a long time ago i don't know if you remember no. he, he was a laker during the during um uh kobe's uh second run with okay. uh, paul gasol okay and so so he's, he's one of the centers and he he's he's a, i know he's a, a f1 and i saw him and i was like oh, i gotta go get take a picture with him yeah and and so i ran over to him oh, andrew Biden, yo i'm a big laker fan from la you know can i take a picture with you and he's like no nah, man <laughs> and then i was like i was like why not he's like that's the ripple effect i was like the ripple effect yeah man yeah take a picture with you i gotta take a picture with everybody and then i look around I'm like bro we're in canada <laughs> and, wow. Nobody gave a shit who he was, right? And so, and so he looked around and he's like, "All right, let's take a picture." So, and then, so I think, so I take a picture with them. Like he gives a, the the phone to his team and they take a picture. I take a picture with them, and then he walks off. And then, yeah, the Ferrari guy, he's like, "Who is that?" I was like, "That's Andrew Bynum from the Lakers." And he's like, <laughs> "He's like, whatever." That's funny, man. <laughs> um, yeah, you just get to that yeah. point. Some, but yeah. Where people they just they just yeah, think man, too much of themselves and they don't understand that like you're nothing without your supporters you're nothing without the fans or you know the people that are gonna to support you right yeah and I, I yeah just the I think working um going to F one I worked on uh, Fast and Furious movies oh a did lot. you so yeah so um the first the first fast and furious movie uh they came up to us and wanted some help and like honestly i didn't believe in the movies yeah <laughs> the first one uh-huh. i was like what is what is this shit movie yeah. coming out <laughs> and then um but still we we wanted to help yeah and because that's 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 just kind of like our ideology right we always want to help right yeah and so we had some wheels um maybe not on the main cars but we we had some wheels out there and then the second one was not a good movie. Yeah. And then the third one was uh, Tokyo Drift. And so I had, uh, so because it was based out of Japan, they wanted to put some authenticity yeah. to it. And I got raised to kick down hundreds of wheels. Wow. Um, probably like 300 wheels for the movie. Oh, right? shit. And then, um, so if you look at, if you watch Tokyo Drift again, most of the wheels were on raised wheels. Okay. And, 
and then I remember the the final car was uh, the, the old Mustang, yeah. you know, with RV mode, right? And they're like, we need to put wheels on this. And I was like, no, no, it's not. No, like, you guys are crazy. I don't want to do that, right? Yeah. And they're like, well, if you're not going to do it, we're going to get somebody else. And I was like, fine. So I went down there to measure it. Um, so it was a really cool experience to, to work with the guys at, at Picture Cars um, and and just all the hustle of, you know, shipping the wheels, getting everything on time, delivering it, what, getting to see the builds. And uh, we were fortunate enough to go to the premiere. Oh, cool. And, uh, yeah, I walked the red carpet. That was super cool. And, um, yeah, that was probably the, the pinnacle or the height of our involvement with Fast and Furious. But after that, we were still helping out. Like, if they needed help on wheels, we always do our best to help. Yeah, so. very cool. Yeah, I, I really like uh, Tokyo Drift. That's such a cool mm -hmm. movie, man. There's a lot of nice cars in that one. Yeah, and to say that you know, I worked on all those and did the fitments for those cars, it was it was a really good time. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. So, um, yeah. what was the decision that made you want to uh, leave uh, Mackin? Yeah, well, um, around what 2016, I was like 39 okay. years old, and so you know, if you work anywhere, once you get to the point where you're hitting about 40. Um, maybe it's middle midlife crisis or something like that. You start to take a step back and like, okay, what you know, what did I do with my life, yeah. right? And so then you start just thinking. And um, you know, I was at the crossroads. Though. Like, I felt like I hit like a ceiling. Um, maybe I wasn't being too challenged. Uh, th things were things were going great. They were going great. We got out of the recession. Uh, business was booming. It was good, um, maybe too easy. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, and and at the same time, you know, everybody's like, oh, you know, it's time for you to get out. Like a lot of the the generation older than me, right? The very successful guys, right? Out there, like the James Chens and the Howard Limbs and you know, you know, the, you know, some OGs in the industry, right? You know, they, a lot of those guys were they they've been like mentors to me um, growing up, and they were pretty much telling me like it's about time you need to you know, do something for yourself, right? And, um, like, before, prior to that, I really didn't feel that because, you know, I, I loved what I was doing. It wasn't really for the money, although I was getting paid well and I had a lot of perks. But, you know, as, as I got older, um, marriage was imminent, right? And, uh, like, I can see, like, like, the next stage of my life happening, yeah. right? And so, so you have to think about, like, do I, did I want to spend the next half of my working career doing this? And so I took stock of that. And ultimately I came to the decision that I didn't want to do that. Right. And then, um, originally, you know, what was I going to do? And I was just going to just hustle again. Mm -hmm. Right. Just put myself in a position where I had to work hard, right. Work hard, you know, uh, just challenge myself. And, um, yeah, that's, you know, ultimately, that's really what happened. So originally, I was going to do private label, just manufacture parts for people, and then um, uh, a, a group of guys got I got together with. Uh, you know, we we saw an opportunity to launch our own brand, and uh, I told them the only way I would do this is if there was like something new I could bring to the table. I just didn't want to be like any other company, mm -hmm. right? And and I know for the longest time I was like preaching to raise like we need to come out with like a more affordable forged wheel. You know, we, we have to. They, they made some attempts, but it didn't come out to what I thought could be, like, a really solid, like, lasting program, right? And and I found that opportunity um, with, with our partner factories, and, um, yeah, we made it happen. 
And uh, I guess the idea worked. I, idea made sense. And uh, now, look, now we're now look at us now. <laughs> so Titan Seven is you and Aaron. So we have um, so three working partners. Okay. So we have uh, myself. So I handle like supply chain, anything with factories, uh, quality, um, private labels. So we make wheels for, actually for a lot of different companies, everything from tuner shops to wheel companies. So I'm responsible for that. Uh, so I'm in Asia all the time. Uh, Aaron is our, he's kind of like our um, brain trust, uh, support, back end, uh, all the financial stuff, taxes, inventory, gotcha. um, the business operations ends of it, right? And then um, and then uh, we have uh, James, who's like our sales and marketing. Okay. So he came from the fashion industry. So like you and him would totally rap about, you know, like sneakers and, you know, all, all of those type gotcha. of things, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so um, you probably, well, if you've been in LA, he, he uh, was one of the founders and co-owners of uh, Attic, which is like, they, they used to sell all the Jordan, all the, you know, Nikes and everything like that okay. back in the day. So, uh, but he handles all the sales and marketing uh, for Titan 7. And so we've, we've formed like a really good, um, you know, uh, trinity of people that can bring in like the right pieces to the puzzle. Gotcha. And then, um, of course, to start the business, we, we needed money. So we found an investor, and um, it's a company called uh, the Piercy Automotive Group. Mm -hmm. So they own like um, you know Honda World and you know a bunch of other you know uh, dealerships throughout California, and so they're able to help us get us started. Very cool. So the business started in 2016. Uh, it started in like late. Yeah, we put it together um, late 2016, mm -hmm. and then we started shipping. Um, in 2000 uh, middle 2017 very cool man yes so we just you know i was just just working really hard just to make sure the product was as good as it can be before we shipped it out and um it was tough you know in the beginning like our first winter in 2017 i really did not know how we were gonna <laughs> pay our bills uh pay rent um it was pretty scary uh, you know, at the same time, you know, my, my now wife, she was going to nursing school. And so, um, I had to support her. So, yeah, so it was a really stressful time, but we made it through. And, uh, cause during that time, no one believed us, nobody who knew we were, uh, luckily, you know, I had, I had a little bit of experience in the industry. So, you know, those connections really helped us to, to push us through. And, um, the first spring of 2018, things started taking off. And um, and then the right people started getting to the right people's cars, and um, people were getting really happy with us and our service. And uh, in 2019, we more than doubled. You know, our, so every year we're doubling business. Wow! Congrats, man. Yeah, thank you. And uh, and then 2020, we were we started pretty strong, but we took a hit. But we're still alive. Things are happening, so it's okay. So, what do you think led to the um, the growth of the business? Um, would you put a lot of stock in marketing? Uh, everything. So I think I think uh, a company has to do everything right, right. So if you just do only one thing, well, you can't live. You can't uh, survive long term with that. So I think our marketing is on point. Um, our uh, the product. I think that's the most important part, right? The product has to be good, yeah. right? So you know it has to live up to the value. It has to be, in terms of a wheel, it has to be strong, light, it has to fit right. And, and, and of course, it has to look good. Yeah. Right? So there's that. And then uh, the marketing, you know, we, 
you know, it's it's more of a track focused wheel, but we we treated the marketing like how like some of the more successful companies at the time were uh, pushing their products. Like I would say, like Boston, you know, they or any of those type of guys. There, the marketing programs were just on point. So we wanted, or Vorsteiner as well. We wanted to make sure that we have really good creative, good photography, good photo shoots, good locations, right? So that was super important to us. Um, and also utilizing all the tools they had through social media and, and, and whatnot. And then um, the next part is service, right? Um, you can't survive for a long time if you don't have good service. Mm-hmm. So um, we always wanted to make sure our wheels are as available as possible. So our end goal is to have wheels either in stock or you're going to wait 30 days or less. So that's our directive, right? And then if there's a problem, we take care of it and we fix it. Very cool. Right. So, so you have to go above and beyond customers' expectations, even if it costs you money. So we've had guys that shouldn't be, you know, replacing wheels because you know they probably did something on their own. But we'll just take care of it. When did you realize the value of customer service? Oh, since yeah, since I was a kid. So my first job was uh, working at a bank, and um, and. The one thing that they ingrained into us, um, whether they actually followed followed that, <laughs> that rule or not, was you wanted to um, exceed. You know, you always want to uh, underpromise and overdeliver, right? So you want to, you know, when a customer comes up to you and they have a problem and they're walking away kind of shocked that uh, on how well you took care of them, yeah. then you've done your job. So, so we want to try to care. So that's a huge part of what Titan Seven is. Um, you know, in the in the in the, in the end of you know, it's not worth it for us to like fight and squabble with, with little problems that a customer has over a set of wheels. We'll just take care of it. It's all good. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll yeah. We'll, so, and I think a lot of guys that have experienced our brand, they realize that. And I remember in the beginning of our uh, business, like um, there was a guy, he had a Civic Type R and um, he, uh, this guy Aaron, and there was a problem with the wheels, right? And, and I, I literally like, I, I I got a set of wheels from the warehouse and I drove it up like an hour to where he lived, you know, in the middle of the night to go drop it off to him. And he was super surprised and he was really, uh, yeah, he was super uh, impressed by our service. And he even offered to put money into the company. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, so I think just those kind of little things, you know, that we did, um, people like, you know, it, it, it's like putting money into a piggy bank, right? You know, it all adds up. So, so what is the meaning of the name? Um, so, uh, you know, James, our partner, when we used to play golf a lot, he'd always joke around like, oh, do a company, Titan wheels, Titan wheels. Yeah. And so, um, when we finally decided to do, do that, um, we're, you know, we were like, okay, we'll use Titan, but we can't just use Titan. Yeah. Right. You know, it just doesn't sound right. It sounds too generic. And so the official, um, Meaning of Titan Seven is Titan and Seven is are the the seven attributes of a good wheel company. Okay. Yeah, but but ultimately Seven just sounds cool. So, <laughs> so what are the 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 seven attributes? Um, I think I have to pull out my my uh, Excel sheet. No for that, worries. But, no worries. But but ultimately, I mean, it's, it's like the things that we're talking about, right? You need good product, right? Good service. Uh, it has to be incredible value. Um, you know, and then it has to be technically proficient. So I think it really what it means is we're trying to check off all gotcha, the boxes. Got you, got you. Right. So a lot of com- like going back to you know what I said is you have to try to do everything right. So we wanted to offer a product that 
we'll check off all the boxes. There aren't any like trade-offs or there's no catch to it. Yeah. Right. So you have this really awesome product, but it doesn't cost like an arm and a leg. Right. So, so that's really where it came from. And also our, our company model forge for all, um, we just wanted to prove that, you know, anybody can enjoy the benefits of like this premium product, but you know, it won't, it, it won't, you know, cost you like all in your entire savings. So. Can you break down um, Forge versus Cast and actually what what makes Forge better? Yeah, so I think most of the wheels in the world right now are, are manufactured using casting. Okay, so most OEM wheels um, are manufactured with cast. So that technology, it's been around for a long time. A lot of things are made like that. So it's uh, you get like molten aluminum, and then you pour it into like a mold. Right, for it to take its shape. So you can either add pressure to it or, or you can use gravity to let it set. Um, but it's a very economical way of manufacturing wheels. You can do really good designs. And it's, um, you know, and it, it's, you can build really good street worthy wheels, you know, with casting. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but the reason why forging really came about was that um, because of, uh, Liability. If you notice, like all, like most OEM wheels, especially back in the days, are super heavy. Um, they're really heavy because they need to be really strong. Because mm-hmm. the last thing an OEM wants is to get sued because a wheel cracked or broke or you know whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So that provided an opportunity for like higher end wheels. And so, so the next thing that came about was like a forged wheel. So a forged wheel is you get like a solid piece of aluminum. Right, and in most, and in, in, in almost all cases, it's a higher grade of aluminum, mm-hmm. right? So, like aircraft grade, like a sixty, sixty-one, and they apply you know millions of pounds of pressure for it to take its shape, mm-hmm. right? So you can imagine, so like the difference between forging and casting. So casting, think of it as like like pancake batter, okay? Right, I mean, when you pour it onto a pan, there's like some air in it, right? Gotcha. Right, so so that's like the inherent problem with a cast wheel is that you're going to get some porosity or like little air, micro air bubbles. So it's not like a solid structure, right? And even to this day, you still have those problems. So that's why like cast wheels, they have to be x-rayed, you know, um, to make sure that they don't have like big holes. Gotcha. Otherwise, that, that can lead to failure. And then in, in racing um, with cast wheels, that's usually, you know, the issues that you're going to have, like if there's like some porosity in there and after you're going to add a lot of pressures and force to the wheel, then micro cracks can, can happen. And then you're going to have a wheel failure over a period of time. Right. So that's, so with forging, you have the solid chunk of aluminum and then you, you add incredible pressures for it to take its shape. Then you can just imagine like how strong that's going to be. Yeah. Right. There's no porosity. Um, you know, you have this really good grain flow, so, so it has a lot of good properties of like repelling forces, right? And then, and then, um, then, and then after that, you have the ability to make it real light because it's so dense, so strong. Then you can take a lot of material out of it, and it's a lot lighter. So you're gonna have best of every world. It's gonna be light, strong, um, you know, durable. And then, and then people start figuring out in racing that when you have a, lot, a lighter wheel, it's gonna help your wheel car go faster. It's going to break easier, less strain on the drivetrain, even better fuel economy. And so once you have that, then there started, then a, a, the market developed for that. And so, but the problem with forging is that initially it was, it's really expensive. Uh-huh. So a lot of people, when they think of forged wheels, it's like, wow, it costs so much money, right? So it's out of my budget, so I'm not going to even think about it. And so that's where we came in. So, so the things that we do differently is we're a lot more efficient 
and with our company and our business, we still only have you know uh, four people uh-huh. you know working for our company, even though we you know uh, doubled in, you know more than double tripled in size over the past couple of years, right? And uh, we use a lot of technology to um, provide us a lot of our operational work, and then uh, also. Um, with our ordering, with our manufacturing, everything is done in batches. It's not like a custom forging program. So when you do that, the costs go up a lot because it's like four at a time. So with us, we buy, you know, in bulk, basically. It's kind of like the Costco, right? Mm-hmm. You buy in bulk, so, so it's cheaper, but we do sell it one at a time to the customer. So, so we pass all those savings on to the customer. Got it. So there's a lot more um, on your guys' plate as far as inventory-wise. You have to bring in more and sit on more? Oh yeah, we have uh, right now probably sitting on you know two thousand wheels. So wow. Mm-hmm. So um, where are the wheels made at? Uh, they're made in our partner factory in China. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so when you say that yeah. the piece of aluminum is forged into it, so you'll get like a like a slug piece, and then that piece goes to the CNC, and then they'll cut it out. Yeah. So basically, that's what happens. So what what happens is you're going to get this chunk the cylindrical block of of aluminum and then in our case we use like an industry leading uh, 10,000 tons of force and then there's like an initial die shape so like a basically a mold Got you. and so they use that that die to, sh- to, to form it into like a certain shape so like in essence it's kind of like a u right like a u shape okay. and then and then so by squeezing that much aluminum you're enhancing the properties of the raw material and then then we will uh, do a spin forging to bring out the the edges, right? So that U-shape, the edges, yeah. we bring out the ends and then you get like the width of the wheel, okay. right? And then from there, you're gonna do like heat treating and a lot of other processes to lock in the, the, the strength. And then you CNC like the spokes, the hub, and the final roundness of the wheel. And then, then you get what you need. And you've seen this process done from start to finish? Oh yeah, oh. all the time. We have videos, you can go on our website. I'm living in factories uh, like probably half the year. Yeah. So um, it's been crazy. Like, um, you know, going back to how like the wheels are made in China, right? So it's interesting because I come from, you know, very high-end Japanese manufacturing, right? And so going to these factories, it's it's awesome because it's like playland because I get to – because all the latest machinery, um, you know, testing equipment, it's all at my disposal, right? And um, – I think what they were lacking is that one of their sample rooms are just a lot of knockoff type product, right? Because they just don't, they're not car guys. They're, they're factory industrial guys, but they're not car guys. So I go in there and, and we made, you know, incredible relationships and, and we've been able to up their game in terms of product Mm -hmm. planning and for them to understand what the market needs and, um, and also selling them on believing in us. Right. And, and so by doing that, you know, they, they have the incredible investments in, in terms of like coming out with, you know, different molds and stuff with what we needed. Mm. And um, yeah, it, it all paid off. You know, it was tough because we, we had to, you know, pay our dues. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people didn't believe us, you know, in the beginning. And uh, we had to do, a lot of, again, a lot of preaching on that side and also the customer side. And uh, uh, fortunately, um, you know, everything worked out. A lot of headaches along the way. I bet, Trust me, man. A lot of headaches, a lot of craziness. Um, but, you know, that's that's why you got to put in the work. So I'm in Asia. Well, before COVID happened, you know, I was going to Asia five, six times a year. So Now, do you speak Chinese or do you have a, a translator? Uh, I have a partner that uh, speaks Chinese. Got you, got you. How do you find a factory that 
that you could communicate with and that's reputable? Uh, I'm not saying for you, but just say for somebody that's trying to start off uh, some manufacturing rather than just flying to China and just trying to find something. Like, what, what steps would you recommend to taking a business to the next level? It's, it's a lot of trial and error. So I think... Like, you know, China, Asia is a huge, huge place, right? They, there's millions of factories. Um, not all of them are good. Um, it's, I think it's just a lot of trial and error. So we, we have to, um, we we're fortunate enough where the, the factories that, um, that we're currently working with, you know, they're, they're ethical, you know, they have a, a great capacity. Um, they have the willingness to listen to what we have to say. And then now it's easier because, you know, we've, we've kind of paid yeah, our dues, yeah, yeah. right? And now I get, I get hit up by factories all the time mm. to go check them out. So I'd, like, there's so many factories, right? Uh, I've been to so many, most of them, you know, not, not that great, you know? Um, but you know, there are occasionally there's some that show up and you're just like, wow, you know, there, there could be something to it. Right. So then, but then from there you have to go through the trial and error process, the vetting process. You have to give them a shot, try things, kind of ramp up to it and um the best advice that i can give is um you, you just gotta do as much homework as you can on the company um but ultimately you just gotta give it a shot so got you yeah and if it doesn't work out you just gotta move on so got you so when the wheels um get finished over there are they completely finished boxed and ready to go yeah everything is done a to z in one place very yeah. cool man is the finish yeah. um a powder coating so it, it's it's still paint. So it's a uh, initially it's blow coated, but it's still it's still a paint, yeah, like a like automotive type paint. Yeah, but it goes through different stages where you have like a base coat, then you bake it, then you throw on a clear coat, and then uh, you bake it for uh, durability. So. Is there any options for custom colors or anything like that? Uh, not really. So um, if we do something of the custom nature, it still has to be built in batches. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. 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 Yeah. So, so we can't have a guy call me and say, Oh, I want blue. That means I have to, you know, build a whole bunch of them. So, but can you get the wheels raw? Uh, I no, no, not. So yeah, we're trying to get away from like more custom. We're more and more selling like complete products. Gotcha. Yeah. There's no custom. So, so we're not no different than like an exhaust company or like an intake company. Like the exhaust is made for the car. Gotcha. So, like, if you you've, you've probably shopped for wheels before, and and when you go onto a website or whatnot, you see just big chart, yeah. right, with like size, offset, bolt circle, and you're like, I don't know what what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. Right? So, and most people they they don't know. So, um, another thing that we're doing, I think, more differently, a little bit more smartly, is that we're just we're setting up the car properly based on um, the brakes, the suspension, and the tires that the car is going to run. And this, and we spec out the fitment, and this is what's for the car. So unfortunately, there's guys that call us all the time, like, "Can you make it for this car?" And we're like, "We can't because we make it application specific." So how do you guys add new uh, new vehicles to the line? What do you get a um, do you bring a vehicle into the shop and get the specs, or what what makes you want to jump into a different market? Um, I think Titan Seven. You know, we want to. You know, we're not like a JDM company or a Euro company. You know, we're an American company. Mm -hmm. So, as long as that there's a performance market for the car, we want to make something for it. So, if people are building it, putting more power adders, uh, they're doing suspension on it, then I think we want to be a part of it. Very cool. So, what are some of the platforms that you guys are working with right now? 
Uh, our top selling fitment is the Civic Type R for sure. Um, so we, we, but we also, you know, deal in, you know, some Toyotas, Lexus, uh, the new Supra, you know, did all right for us. Um, uh, CTR is really strong for us, but also like the BMW M cars, M2, M3, you know, M4, those are all very strong for us. Um, but also we have fitments for Camaro, for Mustang, right? Uh, that's why we bought a Mustang because we wanted to, to build one and, and, and really, you know, uh, get to know the market. Yeah. Um, we, we're even messing around just trying out off-road wheels, right? Just performance forged off-road wheels. And we didn't really even market it and we sold out. So, um, yeah, so anything that's performance-based that has an opportunity for improvement, um, we want to be part of it. I think the, the next thing that we're working on is probably the C8 Corvette. Uh, so we already have some samples coming in, um, maybe some center lock Porsche stuff, mm, uh, again, cool. real race. Stuff. Um, but yeah, we're, we're always trying to, in the beginning, I think we were just trying to establish like our, our identity and our, um, you know, just the operations and just getting our feet wet into the business. And now I'm, I'm really, I'm having fun. I'm working on even new materials. I'm working on like all kinds of crazy shit that we're just sending out to get tested um, we can put them on race cars, have them try it out, get feedback. Uh, even like the cars that have been running on our wheels at the racetrack for three seasons already, yeah. three seasons already, we're going to take the wheels back and, and have them analyzed and cut them up. Oh, and, cool. Yeah, and looking for ways to, to build upon it and make it even stronger. So, Very cool, man. What about uh, accessories, lug nuts, and things like that? Yeah, so we have a titanium uh, lug program called uh, OWL, or Obsessed with Lightness. Uh -huh. So um, it's really cool. We were able to get a design patent for it. So, so it's like our first patent. So Very cool. We, we about that. Um, but yeah, so we have a titanium program that's for like uh, like 14 mil, so like Civic Type R's, uh, Teslas. Um, we actually sell quite a few Tesla wheels. Mm -hmm. that, that market's really nice for us. Um, and then also like typical Japanese and uh, Japanese stuff. So we might be expanding into some European products as well, but... Um, you know, we're taking everything one at a time. Yeah, I think one of the first times that I heard about the company was through uh, Honda Pro Jason mm, with, yeah, with the yeah. uh, CTR. So you, you guys have a lot of CTRs that are using the wheels? Yeah, that's I think that's our bread and butter. Um, we, we love the, C the Civic Type R community. Um, the car is awesome platform. Uh, does everything. Yeah, it's kind of like Titan 7. It kind of does everything right. Yeah. Right. It has great space, great fuel economy. It's awesome on the track. It's awesome. Daily driver may not look the best, you know, my opinion, <laughs> but um, so it almost checks off every box, but still like, you know, it, it has its, you know, it has its good points. Um, it checks off most boxes. Right. And, um, and I think the timing was perfect because the CTR just came out as our company was launching mm. and, we went really aggressive with fitments. We saw what other wheel companies were doing, and it just wasn't, we didn't think it was enough. So luckily, we were able to get our hands on one uh, a lot earlier than most people, and we spec'd it out, spec'd out the right fitment, and now I think we have one of the best ranges of aggressive fitments uh, for the track for that car. Very cool, man. I love it. Those wheels do look really good on his car. I like mm -hmm. it. Thank you. So um, you said that, you wanted to try something new. Things were getting pretty complacent. What, when you started the business and these uh, these last four years, what have you noticed um, about the changes in your life that uh, maybe reawoke something inside of you? Well, I think first it was the 
probably the, uh, the anxiety and the danger of failing, right? Um, I've never really experienced that before, right? Because before I was working at an established company and, um, and you always had that like safety net, right? Uh, and it wasn't even your money that you're playing with, yeah. right? So, um, you know, when it came time for our company to start, yeah, that was definitely one of the biggest things in the beginning, the anxiety, um, you know, just just thinking about it, you're sleeping, dreaming, every eating, you know, like I wasn't, when I, before I would eat dinner and then I go, I'd go straight to work, yeah. right? I'm still doing that right now. Um, I think uh, that's probably one of the biggest changes, but at the same time, you're also a master of your time. As an entrepreneur, you know, everything in life, you know, everything's about decisions, right? So I have the ability to make decisions on every second, every minute of what I do, right? It's not somebody telling me, um, you know, how I should spend my time, yeah. right? So, but also with a lot of freedom got, comes a lot of danger. I have to make sure that I'm using my time properly, you know, not fucking around or anything like that, right? So um, that's a huge difference in life. Um and and then as the company started to you know grow and people started to um, you know accept your brand, uh, I think you know you get a lot of gratification. Um, just people coming up to you and telling me like you know how you know cool it is what we're doing. I think uh, that that's been super gratifying. And and you know you always have to look for ways to motivate yourself, right? Whether it's you know somebody talking shit or somebody's telling you something nice, nice. You have to just take that. Um, put that all together and figure out ways to uh, put yourself forward. So how do you stay uh, motivated? Like, uh, yeah, like uh, just in every way possible. Um, I think, you know, in, in business, of course, numbers, right? That's one thing you want to keep growing, right? But I think as since my, you know, my role as a supply chain, you know, I'm really interested on actually improving the product. Right. So even like from the guys that bought our TS5 from the beginning of our, our company when we first started to now, like the products improved, mm -hmm. you know, the lines are sharper, the logos are better, mm -hmm. you know, everything, you know, neuraling, everything is. So I think um, just, you know, like, you know, Singer, you know, I love their line. Everything is important. Yeah. Right. With their Porsches, they, they say everything is important. I, I, I really I took that to heart and I explained that to everybody that we work with, you know, every detail, everything that we do, we have to, you know, do it properly, you know, so we don't cut corners. We do everything right. Um, we want to be efficient, but that doesn't mean we're cutting corners. Yeah, right. Definitely. Yeah. So uh, I want to talk about the, uh, the new wheel that you have, the, the TD six. Tell me about that. Yeah. So that's our, you know, our interpretation of a six spoke wheel. Um, I think when we first started the brand, we always wanted to have like like a spoke type wheel because we've always been kind of meshy and you know like really thin spoked or whatnot. And uh, it's it's been tough because I've been working on the six spoke wheel uh, RTD six for since we started, so about three years, yeah. right? So and obviously the biggest you know fear or you know was you know where I came from. Everybody would be like, oh, you know, it's like a T or something like that. Yeah. But if you really look at the wheels and compare it, there's really nothing similar besides just the original shape. Mm -hmm. And so when we design a wheel, we have to make sure um, you know, it has all the right features. You know, it's light, strong, has a lot of good technical selling points. But at the same time, when you look at it, it's got to look good. Yeah. Right? So your knee-jerk reaction is it's got to look good. And so we added a lot of features in there that I think are very innovative, different, 
like the machining. So we did this triangulated machining where if you look at most wheel companies, when they like reduce weight on the wheel, they take it, they do like scalloping on the spokes. Right. So we did, we took that the whole way through all the way to the hub and all the way to the, to the rim edge as well. And, uh, and I, I think that's something that's you know original thinking, something that's original. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we're really, you know, proud to introduce it. Uh, we sold out our first batch, nice. um, you know, even during COVID. And so I really appreciate all the people that are supporting our brand and, um, um, yeah, it's 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 doing well, and we we're super excited to just keep expanding on it. Very cool, man. I'm excited to uh, I'm excited to see that wheel out in the streets. Um, what have you seen it on? Well, our first uh, launch offerings is for the the Civic Type R, okay. uh, the Subaru STI, and for the the A90 Supra. So you'll start seeing it on those cars first. And uh, we're only thinking to offer it mainly to like Japanese fitments. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're getting beat up by a lot of the BMW guys, so who knows? So we're not going to shut the door on anybody, yeah. but uh, we're not going to. You know, we'll, we'll we'll see. That that would be a nice one on the BMW for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, do you offer anything in like just a regular uh, Civic, like EGEK four by one hundred setup? No, we don't offer anything for um, for the older vehicles right now. Like for Titan Seven, we're trying to focus only on newer vehicles. Gotcha. Um, we we like I said before, we do make wheels for other wheel companies, and they fo- they may focus on something like that. But uh, for now, we're trying to focus on new cars. But we're again, we're not going to shut the door on, on older vehicles. Like we've been beat up fifteens and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so who knows? Maybe in the future. But uh, for now, just newer cars. I love it, man. Um, mm-hmm. It sounds sounds awesome, and um, I look forward to looking a little more into what you guys have to offer. Like I said, the most that I've seen was uh, through Honda Pro Jason's car, and then um, just scrolling on there, just seeing some of the uh, the other pictures and like the BMWs and stuff. It, it looks really good, man. I, a lot of people are going with that kind of like machine style wheels, and you know the three piece, and um, feels like that's a little more uh, played out at the moment right now. And yeah, I think um, for us and everything we do, we try to make sure that the design is clean. Yeah. Right. It's clean. And and the most important part is I call it the knee jerk reaction. Right. When you look at it, are you going to you have to it, you got to be like, that looks good. Yeah. Right. That's the most like first impressions are so important. Right. So um, I think that's really what dictates, you know, how we style and design our product. It's just it's got to look good from the get-go but and then of course we have to make sure it's infused with all the the right technical features so what do we have to expect from titan 7 for the in the near future um near future you'll see a lot more applications coming out from us um also i think on the service side i think availability would be will be even better uh um you know just reduced wait times for products um i think You'll look. People will look forward to product continually improving. So we're we're trying to just reduce weight continually, uh, constantly, um, and uh, just yeah, just overall, just a better, just refining our business to offer better service and also offer better product. Um, you'll see also more race cars, a lot, a lot more, you know, higher end cars running our product, um, and our service is still going to be there. And in the in the uh, mid middle future, you're going to see a lot more innovative product from us, whether it's new materials or um, just crazier features that are infused with the wheels. Full titanium? 
wheel? I, I can't say. <laughs> uh, we'll save that for another podcast. Awesome. I love it, man. Now, before we get out of here, I got to hear, what is your uh, dream car? Oh, man. Dream car? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I... I mean, as a kid, I always wanted, like, Ferraris and, yeah. you know, stuff like that. But now... You know what? My dream, I don't think I have a single singular dream car, but I would love to have like a big garage just full of, you know, you know, I'm not really into classic cars, just fixed up cars. Like I'd love to have a built EG yeah. that I've put together. Um, probably another MR2. I probably wouldn't work on that, yeah. but, um, you know, and maybe like an E46, E92, um, just, just all the cars that I really enjoyed driving, yeah. you know, over the years. Um, you know, S two thousands. You know, all of those. You know, I wouldn't mind just a stable of that. And then, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think I have a dream car. I would just love a, a stable of fun cars that I could just take out. Uh, I wouldn't just let it sit. Yeah. Um, I, and just take it and beat up. Yeah. I love that you said the EG first. <laughs> I always wanted one in high school, but you know, I had to go against the greens. So I had to get an MR two, no matter how I felt. Have so. you ever had one? No, I never had one. My brother had the Del Sol, oh. so I had enough. <laughs> Had enough Honda flavor, um, but uh, someday I will have one. Dude, you have to get one, bro. Yes. A K yeah, K Series EG all the way. Yeah, uh, that's what I want. Exactly. I want a K Series. I like I like modern features. Just uh, I don't. I'm not into like just completely restoring it yeah. all stock. I, I want it to be fucking fast and crazy to drive. K Series EG. Maybe sprinkle a little turbo on there. A little all wheel drive. You'll be good. I don't know about all-wheel drive, but for sure, for sure, K, I, I'm, for me, I'd probably be K-Series NA. Yeah. So, yeah, K-Series NA, awesome I'd be happy platform. with that. Yeah. Eddie, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, yeah. man. It's been an honor to be on here. I, I've listened to a lot of the podcasts actually leading, leading up to this, and, um, you know, I love what you do. Thank you. And uh, yeah, just keep doing it, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. So before we get out of here, uh, where could people find you at and the business? Yeah, our company website is www.titan-7, the number 7.com. Um, we're on Instagram, Facebook, so we're pretty easy to find. Uh, me personally, um, I, I just, I'm mainly on Instagram and Facebook. My Instagram is edfunk, ed underscore funk. Dope. All right, cool, man. Once again, thank you for your time, dude. I really, really appreciate it. Um, huge thank, out, thank you to our sponsor, Heel Toe Automotive. Been around since 2002. Providing you guys with all the parts you need for your Hondas, man. Make sure you guys check them out, heeltoeauto.com. And uh, check out Titan 7. They got a lot of awesome stuff. And those uh, new TD7, or the TD6s, those look awesome, mm -hmm. dude. I love those. So make sure you guys check them out. And uh, once again, this is Downtime with Downstar, episode 168. And wow, peace.